Hi, this is Mo Maduro, and welcome to the Life Expansion After 50 podcast. This is the second episode that we're talking about the seven fitness areas introducing this framework. I mentioned last time that the framework, I put it together to have a way to talk about success principles without having to resort to the woo-woo gap and also to make it more accessible to some of the analytical thinkers who needed to have little more empirical evidence, something that's repeatable. So we're going to work through this. Now, the first one, of course, as I said, it's all in order, mental, because that's the first line of defense. That's where we make the choice. But we need the rest of the parts as well. And I have financial last because when you do everything right, the finances will flow. Starting from financial, we see a lot of corruption and a lot of other things that occur because the the foundation is not there. And look how many lottery winners end up being broke. You've heard about it. So anyway, the mental part, this is what we're going to talk about. We talked last time about the power of, of being able to make that choice being proactive. I, one of the episodes I talked about Stephen Covey in his book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, and how his first chapter says go 30 days being proactive and, and start over until you keep starting over until you can do it. And that gets into that conscious choice and the role of conscious mind and decision-making. I look back at a lot of these best practices, you know, listening. When somebody uh, asks you a question, you pause. Uh, I remember a standard as high as three seconds. You wait three seconds before you respond, and it's a good practice. But, I mean, I didn't know that it was to give my conscious mind a chance to catch up. And maybe back in the 80s and 90s, who knew, right? Who knew that there was millions of bits processing every single second, which the conscious mind didn't stand a chance. So pausing for uh, two or three seconds before responding, something as simple as that, keeping in mind that the conscious mind has a reaction time of anywhere from two-tenths to seven-tenths of a second. And with the unconscious processing 11 million bits per second, it's two-tenths of a second before we even get out of the shoot. And we've already got a couple of million bits of processed information. It's no wonder we have anxiety and we spiral. And then we start looking around for why, am I, why do I feel this way? And then we find something and now we've got the boogeyman and it just gets out of control. So by having that buffer, learning to pause, learning to take a break, but it starts with, with retraining the unconscious. So that's a, another step that we have to do. So the other part of this conversation is about the creativity and conscious awareness. Now, you, you know I feel strongly about purpose and passion. I think purpose has to come first and then passion. If you go after passion first, you could be diametrically opposed to your purpose. But if you start with purpose and then find passion within that purpose, you actually have a nice framework for pivoting back and forth as things change. If you do it the other way, you may need to do a 180 to go between passion and purpose, and it's not going to work. Having purpose gives you the fuel and the tenacity to stick through it during the lean times. The passion gives you the fuel to go after it when times are good, and you put that extra energy in. It's a little easier to work 12 and 14 hours a day and have fun doing it when there's passion involved. you got to have the purpose, you have to have the passion. Otherwise, I think it's very difficult to cross that river. And that's essentially what we're talking about. Crossing this river is this idea of going from have, do, be to be, do, have, but doing the right things along the way. The second area of physical fitness, uh, we get into understanding that this is why things take, take time. It's a physical thing that you're literally changing. You're changing the unconscious. You're changing these habits. And so when I talk about three to six months to make this 
transformation to get started on it where you can see some momentum, that's real. It could take longer. It depends on how, how hard you're willing to work at it. When I say hard work, it's like the checking yourself, pushing against the discomfort. A lot of this is stepping into discomfort. Uh, eventually, I'll do an exercise where you get a chance to experience fear that is just false evidence appearing real, but it's actually ex exercise that you get a chance to go through. And so you can see how you could be so concerned at one point but then it's it's nothing once you face it. That's the thing, right? Public speaking, they say face your fear and the death of fear is certain. What I didn't know, and this is really interesting, is one of the reasons, and I can't say this scientific evidence behind this, but it was a very, very powerful insight that one of the reasons why public speaking in many for many people, it's higher on the list of things they fear than death. It's also in sales, it's where call reluctance can come from, if you could get your head wrapped around this. And the point is, if you look at the hunter-gatherer times, you had a tribal leader. And if somebody spoke out against that tribal leader, you can imagine in a lot of areas, that person was killed. So speaking up led to death. This gets into the DNA, right? This gets, uh, we have a 100,000-year-old brain. The unconscious is conditioned, speaking up evokes that kind of a fear and concern. I have to get my head wrapped around that, but it makes a lot of sense. And the more you start looking at things through the 100 billion neurons and the firing and wiring and the habitual responses and the being reinforced, and 95% of the time it's running the show, you get a chance to see that the whole nature versus nurture debate, you look at it from a different light. And a lot of our muscle memory obviously was nurtured from before because Bruce Lipton will talk about how there's there's been enough studies and he cites a lot of scientific peer-reviewed research that backs this up that the child is actually beginning the conditioning while they're still in the womb and then of course it goes on to seven years it goes on beyond that but the, the download happens in that first uh, seven years the other thing I want to talk about in the physical area is we talk about neuroscience, but understand that the neurobiology is a big part of it, how the neurons are responding. And then because of gene expression, for whatever reason, the number of genes has been coming down. I think it was 23,000 at one point. Now it's 19 or 18,000. How they express themselves, it's almost like a, a, like a limitless set of possibilities. Because it's biology, because it has to do with what we eat, and what we put into our bodies and the amount of exercise and movement to get that lymph moving, deep breathing to oxygenate the blood, I think it puts an exclamation point behind we need to take care of our bodies because our bodies actually have a big thing to do with delivering what our heart and our mind wants. To get to your purpose, to get to self-actualization, you don't need, we don't just need the energy that comes from the body, we need it, that internal environment so we can become the best version of ourselves. And then the spiritual one, I want to talk about things like values. Purpose, I think, lives here, as well as in the mind, the mental part. Mindfulness lives here. I bring up the meditation when we're talking about this, is that consciousness. And when you have the purity of mind, purity of thought, and then you have that consciousness in that present moment, and you string together the fact that we're awake about 60, 65,000 seconds a day, and how many of those moments can you have that are pure? And the more pure moments or powerful present moments you can string together, the more you're going to have a life you design. The, the less you have the unconscious running the show, 
the more likely you're designing the life that you want. That's why even, you know, for the first part of meditating, it's just you're slowing down the unconscious. I would say that could go on for months. But in my case, it was months before I turned the corner and wasn't just benefiting from the slowing down of the unconscious, but I was actually seeing some benefits that come from your cells operating better. That's the epigenetics part of it. So we got meditation, mindfulness, breathing, pausing, having patience, not being attached to outcomes. Being attached to an outcome can easily generate those fear responses because as soon as you think you're not getting what you want, and you've seen this happen to people. I've seen people go ballistic because they didn't get a promotion. Somebody goes ballistic because their car is not ready in time. It's like the loss. And, you you know, one thing I just always fascinated me was how people, and sorry if I'm calling anybody out here, but people drive to the gym and literally sit in the car waiting five minutes for a closed parking space. And we're not talking about a half mile walk. We're talking about an eighth of a mile walk from the far end of the parking lot to the building. And people will wait in their car to get a close parking spot, but they're going to the gym. So what's the problem with walking? If they're going to wait in the car for five minutes, they it was less time than that to walk through the parking lot. So it's just one of those things I point out because you can see how the conditioning sometimes just overpowers rational thinking. And that's why this, why we're having this conversation. So on the left side, we've got to be thinking about how the mind, the, the physical, or the mental, the physical, and the spiritual work together. And we want to use those to spiral up instead of spiraling down. And because of entropy, it's easier to spiral down than it is to spiral up. But it does work that way, too, that if you can get everything running in formation, we bring in the conversation of coherence because that starts to get you some momentum on the upside. If you think about it from a standpoint of well-being, you need all three of those. But we're going to get into the emotions and I want to spend a little bit more time on the emotional piece because I want to introduce some of the exercises from uh, Joan Rosenberg about how to let those emotions flow through. But for now, I'll leave it at the emotional part is the gateway to the right-hand side. And then on the, on the relationships, we talked about helping other people get what they want. And there's enough material out there. I mean, Dale Carnegie, the book he wrote still stands. We've got to be looking at other people. The self-determination theory, I think, lives on the right side because it's how we relate to other people. But it's also from a professional standpoint, it's what do we want. And the professional side, I maintain that high-performing teams are built more through conditioning than they are through communication. Of course, communication can lead to conditioning, but to have a high-performing team, just like a football team or basketball team, you have to have that conditioning to happen. So the responses are automatic, but because we think it's business, it's just conversation. That's not true. You want to have that muscle memory. It applies to things we say and, and responses and things that we do. So the professional part is personal leadership first, and then once you have that personal leadership in place, you can lead others. And on the financial side, I want to talk about compounding as a simple way. Because I've thought about how do you want to talk about finances. In the financial world, compounding is always, is always going to be around. You can look at your salary, compound it for 30 years or 40 years or 20 years, and you compound it at 4% increases per year, or you compound it at 9% increases per year. And it is a dramatic difference. So for the young people out there, it's worth looking at because when you think about, we don't see seven, eight, and nine percent raises anymore, but you can get those raises by managing your career. You move from a, a big role in a small company to a smaller role in a big company, and you get a bump in your pay. And then you repeat that in reverse. 
and you just keep doing that leapfrogging up. I'm oversimplifying it, but it works with advertising. You advertise and you start getting returns and you roll that return back into the advertising and you can compound that as well. So compounding, compounding is a universal and it's a place to start because it, I think it paints a picture of the store up and transform the energy. That's what we're really doing. Energy doesn't get destroyed. It doesn't get created in a closed system, but you can collect it. You can store it. You can transform it. And when somebody spends three years building an office tower and then there's now people renting those offices in that building, you can see they they stored up the energy. They transformed it into this building and now they're reaping the benefits for decades to come. You can just have so many examples like that where the energy has stored up and the less time people are willing to put into energy uh, storage or energy collection or energy transformation, the harder it's going to be for them to make money. And that energy compounds as well. By the way, on the professional side, there's another interesting thing. I don't remember where I saw this. It has to be three decades ago. And it was talking about what do you do if you had to start over? And there was a lady and she was homeless, I guess. And this guru person was talking to her and said, well, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go outside and, and tell me what you see. And so she did that. She said, I saw a brick. I said, okay, now I want you to go outside and pick up the brick. And what do you see? I saw ants. And he said, okay, what I want you to do is every day you go to the library and learn everything that you can about ants. And she did that and she did that. And she said, now what? Now you write a book about ants and then we're going to sell the book. Now that's an oversimplified dramatization of this thing, but it's still the same thing that happens today. There is a very real concept I've been preaching for decades now, and it's what I use to build high-performing teams. The framework is that every couple of years, if you do an assessment, you're more qualified to do something better than virtually anybody else on the planet. A combination of your network, your your skills, your temperament, experiences, those sorts of things, it qualifies you to do something better than anybody else on the planet. So if you assess that and you make that assessment every couple of years, and that, by the way, when I was building those teams, I literally changed jobs every two years for over a 15-year period, give or take a couple of months, using that concept because whatever I learned in that last job, I was able to, when I say jobs, roles, I was in the same company, but I changed roles dramatically different sometimes because what I learned, for example, when I had a compliance project, I was in sales, but I had to work with claims. And then working with claims, I was now able to do some other work because I had that experience. If you make an assessment every couple of years about what you should be doing, what's, what's that nice intersection of where your qualifications and experience should take you, you can actually do some nice leapfrogging and I would apply that when you think about changing from one job to the other, if you're going to use the job to maximize your, your income. And the reason I brought it up there, so this, that really lives in the professional side, but it has to do with that energy, that transforming of energy. You, you learn and you store up that energy, and then you can transform it into something else that can be of value. And I think that's also why it's very difficult for some disenfranchised communities to pull themselves up because you've had the rug pulled out from you so many times. It's very difficult to have faith enough to store up that energy. It's like as soon as you get a little bit of money, they, it's going to be spent because there's no faith that 
the rug is not going to be pulled out from under you this time. You know, we've seen towns and cities completely burned down. Imagine how it is to try to rebuild that when it's not. It's the difference between it being burned down from a fire like the Chicago fire versus being burned down because somebody didn't like you. And this is, I think, a big part of the challenge that disenfranchised communities have. Anybody who's in a disenfranchised group has probably experienced unfair treatment, and it makes it harder to get yourself up to invest that energy to make things happen. All right, so we're going to leave it there. Come back next time, and we're going to start delving into what you can do to strengthen your own mental area, your own physical area, your own spiritual area, and and then the emotional part. We'll do them one by one. See you next time. <laughs>